Thank you, Scott. I've not had the pleasure of meeting you yet. My name is Neil Davidson. It's great to welcome you to our service today. And uh, first of all, let me just take a moment of a little personal privilege here at the beginning and thank you for your prayers for my wife, Christina. Many of you are aware of the fact that she had surgery on Wednesday. Uh, they took a small bone out of the base of her, right at the base of her thumb that was very arthritic and took a tendon out of her arm and used it to reinforce the ligament on her left thumb and kind of wrapped that up. And she's at home and doing well, not in a lot of pain. I tell her that she's being a pain, but she's not in a lot of pain. But uh, I'm trying to do my best to take care of her. And to tell you the truth, I don't think she likes it very much. I don't think she likes it being dependent upon me. But that's the way it goes. But uh, I appreciate your prayers for her. And, and um, I also want to point out that many of you noticed this morning we have a new format for our worship guide. And really, there's not a whole lot in here about worship. <laughs> I don't know why we, we should just call it a bulletin, but, you know, as always, there's a lot of information in here. We kind of give it to you in Monarch Note version here. There's always a lot more information on our e-letter uh, that we send out at the, towards the end of every week. There's also a lot more information that's available on our website, which you can look at right in our lobby, or, or you can go to at any point in time uh, from any connected device. Uh, but I, what I really want you to be aware of was that that we still have the prayer cards, you just kind of pull off the tab on the end, and we still want you to continue to submit your prayer needs, because we as a staff, as well as an elder team, and a number of other people who are committed to pray, pray for you every single week through the prayer needs that you submit, and uh, we go through them one by one and pray, and, and are aware of those, and would love for you to continue to do that, and want to make sure you knew how to do that, you can, use our, you can use that tab for anything, if you need to change an email address, if you want to sign up for something we're doing or whatever, you can do that always right through there. And so we want you to, to have those and, and know uh, we just think this is a little neater and cleaner and that kind of thing. And Now, I want to continue with the series that we began last week. We began a series last week entitled Above and Beyond. And we have a theme passage that we're using for this month as we look through this series of entitled Above and Beyond. And it's Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 and 21, and I, I challenged you last week, for those of you who were here, to memorize this passage of Scripture. Not real long, uh, but good stuff in it. And I'd love for you to join me right now as we say this, prayer, this uh, passage together out loud. So it should be on the screen over my shoulder. I'm going to be able to read it off the back screen. It says, now to him who are able. All right, that's, we had the same problem in the first service. All right. When we say we say this together, that means when I say it, you say it at the same time. All right, we got that? Here we go. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now we're included in the all generations. And we looked and saw three main truths last week, and I want to just briefly review these because what we're going to talk about today really isn't going to make a whole lot of sense until you have that foundation. Many of you went and listened to it online, and, and that's great. I got a lot of great uh, responses from folks who weren't here last week, got a chance to listen to it through the podcast and, and responded. But let me just point out some truths that just kind of jumped up from us last week. And, and the first is, is God loves to display his glory. God, in many ways, in a healthy way, a way that's good for us, loves to be a cosmic show-off. God wants to display His glory. It is when you and I appreciate the glory, the majesty, the sovereignty, the, the, the primacy of God, 
that, that you and I are in a best position to be able to experience all that God has designed life to be about, not both life now and life for eternity. And God loves to display His glory, and He loves to do so in the church. As we just read in this passage, now to Him who's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Some translations put it, now to Him who's able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Or much, much more than we ask or think. To Him be glory in the church for all generations. And that word amen at the end means so be it. Let it be so. Let it happen. Kind of idea. And God loves to display His glory in the world through the church. He does it in nature, but He does it through the church. We also saw that the way that God displays that glory in the church is by doing things through the church that He's never done before. God loves to do above and beyond the much, much more, the exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think. We, we think, we plan, we work at things, and, and God blesses and uses those, but God's glory reaches its height when it's displayed above and beyond all of that, and God shows up and does the things that only God can do. And with that, God has placed inside each one of us the Holy Spirit, this power that's at work within us, He places the Holy Spirit within us to create a yearning for more. And so my question to you last week as we gathered was, can you feel it? Do you sense the presence of God in your life saying, there's more to life than I've been experiencing? There's more to church than we've been experiencing and doing. Can you feel it? Part of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, God taking up residence within us, is that He equips us, He empowers us, He teaches us, He guides us, but He creates this yearning that there is more. According to the power that's at work within us, God does the much, much more, the above and beyond. And God has placed His Spirit within us to create this yearning for more, and can you feel it? Now, I believe that yearning is going to take, usually will take us in three different directions, a lot of times simultaneously. Now, it's very rich and full, it can reply to our marriages and our parenting and et cetera, but, but, but I think when it comes to the collective aspect of the church, this yearning of God, this, this, this understanding, this appreciation, this hunger and thirst for the for the more, the above and beyond, takes us in the direction of either the telling of the gospel, the loving of other people, or knowing God more fully. And that's what we're going to be looking at these next three weeks, is the telling of the glory, the greatness of God, which we're going to look at today, the loving of other people, loving our neighbors and, and doing so in a radical, above and beyond ways that glorifies God, and knowing God in ways that we've never known Him before. I think the Spirit of God is present within us and is trying to tell us God can use us to tell the story. He wants us to proclaim His greatness. He's also yearning within us to say you can love people in a far more dynamic, active, outgoing kind of way, and there's more of God to know. There's more of God that you can experience. And I believe the, the, the Spirit of God is at work within us to create that yearning individually and corporately. But i got to tell you, talking about the, this yearning today about the telling, 
is not, you know, it's, I told the first service this, that, you know, most pastors love to talk about and challenge people to share their faith. I will also tell you, if most pastors are being honest with you, their expectations for the impact of their messages are at their lowest when we're challenging people to share their faith. As pastors, and, and, and you can work in this week trying to pull this outline together and based upon the study of, you know, you, you're working at it, and, and none of it would really kind of come together, all the pieces, because it's like, how in the world can I say this in such a way that it's going to make a difference? Let me just give you some basic statistics, right? So, you know, because there's a sense in which when you stand up here and you're going to start challenging people to tell the story of God to others, you know, you think, you know what, I, this sermon is dead on arrival, right? You know, it's, it's, it's doomed for failure because the vast majority of people aren't going to change. You know, there's several groups that do survey work of Christians on a regular basis. And I looked at some of those studies this past week, and, the, the, you know, they, they were surveying people who are actively going to churches that proclaim the Scriptures very much in the same vein that we do, what society might call evangelicals in general. And they said out of those that 80% of Christians who go to church regularly, at least once a month, believe that they are supposed to share their faith. Now the flip side of that, so 75 to 80%, the flip side of that, that means 20 to 25% don't believe that they really need to share their faith. They have this perspective, oh, you know, faith is a personal thing, you're not really supposed to talk about it, you know, that kind of thing. And, and, and so you take a church like Hope Chapel, we say we run about 400 that means 100 people who walk through the door on a Sunday morning on average think, I have no obligation, there's no expectation from God, I feel no responsibility to share the truth of God with others. Praise the Lord, there's at least 300 people who generally think, okay, I'm, I'm supposed to do that. But when you look at that, 75% of them will tell you that they have not shared their faith in the last six months. Outside of people that they go to church with, they have not talked to any family or friends who are not believers in Jesus Christ. They haven't talked to them about their faith in any way, shape, or form. So that's 75% of the 80%. Now, I did the math. That's 225 people. So now you've got 325 people, in effect, in the life of the church that aren't going to share their faith in any way, shape, or form. And even those who say that they have a responsibility to share the faith, 60% of them will tell you, that they haven't even simply just invited somebody to go to church in the last six months. Not, th not necessarily sharing their faith or talking about God, but even just simply say, hey, why don't you go to church with me some Sunday? And we probably have a lot of verification of that same kind of thing. We put out some invitation cards regularly in our lobby for people to take and be able to use to invite neighbors or people from work or whatever. And we'll put out a couple hundred cards and maybe 20 will go out the door. So when the series is over, we got 180 cards that we just recycle you know, because we try to be good for the planet, right? So we put it in our, in our recycling bin, in our codes. I mean, we struggle with the same kinds of things. And, and, the, and the trend line for this has been going downwards for the last 50 years. So much so that researchers are starting to ask the question, is evangelism now past tense? Is, the, is that the fact that Christians are going to share their faith with other people now a past tense kind of experience? And it's interesting that, that I, as a pastor, and lots of other pastors like me, we talk about this subject a lot, but it seems to be having less and less impact. So there's a part of me that stands up here to say today, says, you know what, no matter what I say, it's not going to do any good. So I'm just being honest with you a little bit. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty, and I'm not trying to put down my preaching, 
because, you know, I, it's, I can put a lot of you to sleep with the best of them, so, you know, we're, we're that kind of idea. And, but we struggle with this issue. And, and I want to point out some, I, I, I just want to point out some very basic truths to you today related to this topic. Somehow or another, maybe just to get the yearning going, that God has a plan. He, he has a goal. He, he, is his, the, the way that he wants to display his glory in you and through the church is just to tell the greatness of God to the world. And here's the thing that I want you to see to start. You know, what, what really makes a church impressive for God? You know, now to him who's able to do above and beyond, all the way ask her thing, to him be glory. In the, what does it mean for God's glory to be displayed in the church? And I've got to tell you, I, I've been privileged to travel a lot of places around the world, and I've seen some incredible pieces of architecture that are dedicated to the glory of God. I've been in Westminster Abbey in London several times. I've been in the Cathedral of Notre Dame and the Sacre Coeur in Paris several times. I've been in St. Peter's Basilica in, in, in Rome. I've been in the Sistine Chapel. I mean, these are incredible pieces of architecture. And when you think of when they built them and what they had to build them with, build them with, with pulleys and this and that and cutting the stone by hand and all, it's, it's absolutely, these are impressive structures. They are not what really, I mean, it, if those things were going to bring glory to God, then the planet would already be fully, fully devoted followers of Christ. Sometimes we think it's about how big a church is. You know, I, a few years ago, I traveled down with another pastor. He was working with his church, and I went down as kind of a support system with him. They were, they were helping him resource some stuff. And, and this church in, in, in uh, North Dallas, one of the richest neighborhoods, it was an entire city block. Their auditorium would rival any stage in the country, and it sat 6,000 people. And when you walk in, it's like, wow. You know, it, it, they had a food court. I mean, you could get a vegan meal or pizza or anything. It was amazing. And it was open on a Tuesday. You know, just incredible, right? I mean, it's just a huge, huge facility. And they ran thousands of people on a Sunday. And there are huge churches around the country and around the world. The biggest church in the world, is, as far as I know, is in South Korea. And they claim a, an active participation on a week of over 100,000 people. And that's pretty impressive. You know, other times you can go into churches and they're really innovative, right? You know, there's churches today, they got rock climbing walls to get the teenagers in. And, you know, their children's wing got, you know, an IMAX theater. And they can show stuff in 360 degrees. You know, all incredible stuff that they're doing. That's all cool stuff. Some of them got, still got the huge organs, you know, that, that have been built and the incredible sounds that they can make. And so, but I got to tell you, we need to understand this. This is something we really got to get, is that the greatest display of God's glory is when a life is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. There ain't a single thing on the planet that compares to it. I don't care if it's Westminster Abbey or any of these tremendous structures or how big churches are, how creative they are, how great a show they can put on. The greatest thing that displays the glory of God is a life that's been transformed, a life that's been born again, that's gone from death to life 
because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, we could be meeting under a tree and, the, and sitting on the oldest chairs that we could possibly find or sitting on the ground and God's glory could show up and if people's lives are getting changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The greatest display of God's glory is when a person's life is changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, you know what, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. You know, I know, you know he's writing to the Romans, and they're in the middle of the, you know, the, the, the center of power, and etc., and he's not been to that church yet, and he's writing to them, and you know, for, it's always a struggle, especially in those more intellectual, advanced kind of communities, that the gospel sounded just too, you know, kind of, it sounded dumb, you know? You know, God would come down and become one of us and die on a cross. He says, listen, he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not going to back away from it because I know it's the power of God unto salvation. You know, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek, to the Gentile, all the rest of the people. And he goes on to say, you know, how can they hear about the gospel and come to believe if somebody doesn't go and tell them in Romans chapter 10? And the greatest display of God's glory the greatest thing that God can do in Hope Chapel to display his glory is for people's lives to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the greatest thing that we can do. It's just you and I simply to tell the story and to see it happen. It, it happened last week. We, we, I baptized Paul Shaves last week. I've got to tell you, I think one of the greatest indicators of how much God's glory is being displayed in the church is, is how many people we baptize. How many people are ready to go public with declaring their faith in Jesus Christ that God's changed them? And, and, and last week, you know, we baptized Paul Shaves, and, and Paul came because a friend of his who came to Hope Chapel invited him to come to a men's breakfast a couple years ago. And at the result of that journey, Paul came to know Christ, and he's baptized, and God's glory is on display. Now, the tendency for most of us is to say, well, you know, that's just not really me, right? You know? I'm a quiet person. I feel funny talking about all this kind of stuff, and it's not something I really want to do and, and whatnot. And, and, and I want to try to take a moment here and against all odds trying to convince you that this is what you were made for. As a born-again child of God, this is what you were made for. God designed you to be a person who can co proclaim his excellencies who can proclaim his praises, the praises of the one who has taken us out of darkness and put us into his marvelous light. You know, I, 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 and, and I'm going to use a passage here from 1 Peter chapter 2, and, and, and if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. We are going to put the verse up on the, on the, on the, on the screen, but it's, I think it's always great to have it right in front of you. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, our text is going to be on page 1029. But, you know, when I was in high school, I weighed a lot less. And I, and I used to have a dirt bike. And somebody was teasing me to, uh, after the first service that I used this illustration that, you know, that they said, oh, you know, you gotta get I, had a, I had a Suzuki RM125. So somebody was giving me a little guff that they had a 250, right? But a Suzuki RM125, when you hit the power band in that thing, that thing would climb trees. And, and I, I mean, there, were, uh, there was one time we were out and we were in a sand pit and climbing these cliffs and et cetera, and I hit the top of the cliff just the right way, and I put that bike in the fork of a tree eight feet in the air. 
you know, I mean, it was designed for the off-roading. Today, I've got basically the equivalent of a motorcycle station wagon, right? I mean, I, got a, I, have a, I, I own a K1200 LT, which is kind of like a Honda Goldwing. And if, if I took that, Honda, that BMW and tried to go out and climb in that sand pit, what do you think would happen? I mean, I wouldn't get anywhere up the hill. Denny's laughing at me because he knows. He drives a Goldwing. I mean, they're out in the highway, setting the cruise control, turning on the radio, adjusting the windshield, so you just set to go, turning on the heated seat and the heated grips. It's perfect, you know? But going out through the woods, riding trails, it's not made for that. And because one thing's built for one thing and one thing's built for another. And I want to tell you, God has built you and I to tell the story. This is Peter talking to the church that's what is today northeast Turkey. People from a lot of different regions, and they've written to him, and they got some questions, and he's going back. And this is what he says to them. He says, you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. That's a reference to God. So that, you, you, you are all these things so that you can proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And then he uses a couple of references that are specifically applied to them as Gentiles, people who were non-Jews. He said, once you were not a people, in other words, once you weren't a part of the covenant people of God, but now you are God's people, right? Once you hadn't received mercy, once you were kind of like on the outside of the covenant promises, the, 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 what the Old Testament refers to as the hesed love of God, but now you have received mercy. You know, when he's using these terms of being a chosen race, that God has stepped into history and chosen us specifically to be a part of his family. We're a royal priesthood. We get to proclaim the king of kings to the nations. We're a holy nation. We've been set apart for God. We belong to God. We're literally his possession. And all of that is designed so that you and I are equipped to tell about the greatness of God. This is what God's made you and me to do as new creatures in Jesus Christ. We have been built to tell the story. And, and I think one of the dynamics that I experience in my life, and I think you do as well, is that when we're not doing what we were built to do, everything else suffers in our lives. If, 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 I, if I took that RM-125 and tried to go on a cross-country road trip with it, I'd be dead after the first couple hundred miles, you know, because it, it it's not designed for that. If I took my BMW and went trying to go trail riding, I'd probably be hit the third tree into, you know, it's just not designed for that. When, when we use, it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. And when you and I refuse to be the people that God's called us to be, which is we are designed to tell the story of God. We have been designed. God has made us a chosen race. He's made us a holy nation. He's, he's literally taken us and made us a part of himself. He, he's filled us with the Spirit. He's granted us his mercy so that you and I are perfectly equipped to go talk about his greatness. That's what God's designed us for. So God, as he brings people into the church, equips them to fuel his glory by telling the story and more people come to know Christ which is the greatest display of the glory of God. So last week, I challenged you. 
several commitments based upon what we looked at last week. And today I want to add one to it. Before I get to that point, let me back up. Yesterday, I went to the funeral uh, for Gene Curley's dad. Gene Curley and his wife Peg have been coming to Hope Chapel for a couple years. Live in Hudson, his dad passed away. So I went over to the service yesterday at St. Michael's and, and the place was packed. And typically today in a Catholic funeral service, either at the very beginning or at the very end, they allow the family to say something that they like to. So Gene got up with his three brothers to speak. He's, he has a brother and a sister who've already passed away and the four of them got up and every single one of them spoke about their final conversation with their dad. Gene talked about being at the nursing home and his dad saying, I need to go down to church and that kind of stuff. He said, Dad, church is closed. He said, well, no, I need to go. I carried you all those times to hockey games, whatever you, you, you know, I'm, and I'm asking you to drive me. So he said, all right, Dad, let's get your shoes. Here we go. And out they go. And the church, sure, the church is closed, but they made some trips around town and that kind of stuff. But, but you know, Gene's telling his story, but that final encounter of his dad wanting to go to church, being connected there. His brother talked about talking to his father and his, how his father was pretty much just totally out of it. And then when he told his dad, he says, Dad, I got to go now. I love you. He said his dad's eyes opened. A smile came on his face. He squeezed his hands. And he said, I, I love you and I've always loved you. It was the last time he got to talk to him. And, and, and I say this because the last things that you hear from somebody, they stick with you, right? Well, Jesus knew that. So what were some of the last things that he told us? He also said, all authority has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then go be my witness. As the Father sent me, it's the way I'm sending you. The Lord's Supper, we're going to observe it in just a few minutes. Paul says, you know, when, when Jesus was telling me about the Lord's Supper, what he was saying was, as we take the bread and we drink the cup, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're joining in the chorus of telling the greatness of what God has done in Jesus Christ. What God wants ringing in our ears through this final conversation that the church had with the, the resurrected but pre-ascension Christ is go and tell of the glory of Go tell of the glory of God. I got all the authority. I'm in charge of everything. You, I'm putting my power into you. Go be my witness. Go tell the story. And out of that today, I'm asking you to prayerfully consider making this commitment on top of last week. Last week, I asked you to make three commitments. One of those was simply just to be open to the, to the work of the Holy Spirit to create a yearning in your life for more. So that you would say, you know what, I want to get beyond where I'm at spiritually. I want my church to get beyond where it is spiritually. God, I want more. I just want, I challenge you just to allow the Holy Spirit to create in you a yearning for more. I also challenged you not to be guilty of not experiencing the above and beyond of God's activity in your life and in our church because we haven't asked. Not to be guilty of not having because we didn't ask. And the third thing I asked you to do was to ask God to display his glory in Hope Chapel. You know, and here's the last, here's the new commitment I'd ask you to make today. As we think about allowing God to work in us as we collectively approach him as the church of God, is to simply make the commitment to say, 
I will tell of the greatness of God to others. I'll talk about God's goodness to other people. That's the commitment I'm asking you to make. I'm not asking you to go stand out in the busiest corner in downtown Boston and start trying to preach and hand out. Just talk to people about the glory of God. Even just the way that God has worked in your own life. But just talking about the greatness of God with others. We were made for that. And as we do what we were made for, the glory of God expands among us. And that's going to be a cool thing to see. Let's pray together for just a moment, and then we'll celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for just how great you are. You know, I could stand up here and talk for hours, and it probably wouldn't even come close to even inspiring us to just how great you are. But God, I thank you for the glory of a life that's been changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. For that moment when we realize that even though we can be really good people without you, we can never be righteous people. And that we need a righteousness that you can give us in Jesus Christ. And Father, we can do that. We can turn away from our sin and choose to become followers of Jesus Christ and experience new life. To be transformed, to be born again because Jesus died on the cross for us. And Father, that's what we remember in these moments as we take the Lord's Supper. That Christ died in our place that we might have new life in him. God, I thank you today for personally intervening in the world in the person of your son and for him doing for us what we can never do for ourselves, which is being righteous enough in and of himself and through his death on the cross, making it possible for all of us to experience his righteousness through our faith in him. God, display your glory. You know, Father, as I stand here, I, I know one of the thoughts that strikes my mind and it's striking probably a lot of people's hearts right now is that, you know, this just isn't me. But that's the marvelous thing about your glory. It's not about us. It's about you. So God, as we take these elements, call us to a fresh perspective on being the tellers of the greatness of God. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.